We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So we're going through the inseparability of Sharia and Tariqah, Islamic law and purification of the heart, by Sheikh Muhammad Zakaria Kandelvi. Uh, he is, I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. So part of his title is that he's Sheikh al-Hadith. There's uh, uh, most of the important work on Hadith for the last three, four hundred years has happened in the subcontinent. And in the past hundred years, much of it has happened in Deoband, right? That's something that Deoband doesn't get very much respect, or not respect, attention for. Um, mm -hmm. And among the very big Deobandi scholars, Sheikh Zakaria is one of them, right? Um, I mean, in the circles of ulama, he's known, or uh, circles of ulama in the subcontinent, and then stretching all the way into Makkah Medina. In terms of the general Arab world, that I'm not as, as aware of in terms of how well he's known. Um, there's, a few, there's a few major Deobandi scholars that are good to know. He's one. Uh, uh, Sheikh Tanvi is another one. Uh, but, I mean, we can get into that stuff a little bit later. So, so having said that, <coughs> uh, moving to the third page, uh, right, or right after the... Uh, yeah, right before that, yeah. Um, and go back one more page. And more. Okay, start here. So read this. In the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most gracious, the most merciful. All praise is due to Allah, Lord of all the worlds, and peace and blessings be upon the most honorable of messengers, Muhammad sallallahu and upon his family and companions, and all those who follow them in righteousness until the day of judgment. Mm -hmm. Amen. Truly my prayer and my service of sacrifice, my life and my death, are all for Allah, the cherisher of the worlds. Mm -hmm. So you can recognize the dua, right? In uh, in salati wa nusuki, so forth and so on, right? And uh, I'm sure you already know this, but the proper way to begin is always with praise of Allah and blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. And with khutbah, you complete it with mention of the Day of Judgment, right? And then, of course, dua. So, sharia and tariqah, pure Islamic law, purification of the cart, let's jump forward. And then go to the dua that you see a couple pages later. Yeah. Yeah. And our Lord raised in their midst a messenger from among them, who should recite to them your verses and teach them the book and the wisdom and make them pure. Okay, uh, this book is essentially a tafsir on this ayah. Okay. Right. And, and a couple things to note, but uh, the book will talk about it. So it's a tafsir without necessarily explaining itself as a tafsir. And so, so what do we have here? That, that our Lord raised the messenger, you know, peace be upon him, from among his own people. And then he has a number of, of responsibilities. He's re, re, uh, reciting the ayat of Allah, teaching the kitab and the hikmah. Okay? And him. Okay? Often when people speak of the kitab, they're speaking of sharia, and in tazkiyah is tariqah, right? And, and we'll discuss this also in, in Theo 295, where sharia is focused on your actions, okay? and tazkiyah, a.k.a. tariqah, a.k.a. haqiqah, a.k.a. ihsan, is focused on the, uh, purifying your heart. And take all the time you need uh, to take notes, and whenever you're ready, let's go uh, then to table of contents. 
So when you look at the table of contents, I mean, uh, you're going to see we're going to move very, very slowly. Um, it'll take, at the speed we're going to go, it'll take years to finish this book, which is fine. My focus is always on quality over quantity. So, <clears throat> looking at the forward, again, you see Sharia and then Tasawwuf Tariqa, right? And those are essentially the two sides. Mm -hmm. Islam on the outside, Islam on the inside. Or Islam on the outside, Iman on the inside. And then we'll have the introduction, the scholars of Deoband. This becomes important sort of to teach the lineage. And then uh, the key point of this whole text is that you can't separate Sharia from, from Tasawwuf or Tariqah, right? What you will find is when speak, people speak about the Sufis uh, in, in our society, they're just as ignorant as they are about Sharia, right? So one way to think about it is a lot of people think Sharia is supposed to be the law of the land, but almost never in Islamic history was it the law of the land. This is a modern phenomenon where you have a nation and then it has what we call coercive law. I mean, all the laws that you and I follow uh, without even realizing, even something as simple as following a stop sign, right? And then you have those people who, who you know, who think that, that the way the Sufis is just, you know, they're Ahlul Bid'ah and, and such, and they usually don't know anything about, about the way the Sufis. The Orthodox Sufis are super serious about their Islam, right? And the key point being that uh, it's focused on the heart. You also find people who believe that you can be a Sufi without being Muslim. Okay, that's nonsense. There's also people who believe you can be a Sufi in bypassing the Sharia. That's, as we discussed yesterday, that's dangerous. Okay. And the simple analogy uh, you're going to hear from me many times is think of a river and think of the water in the river. Okay. So when you have both together, it brings life. Okay. If you have the, the, the river without water, then you just have an empty ditch, okay, a dead, empty ditch. That's Sharia without Tazkiyah, without the Sufi, okay, without the Sawaf. If you have water without the, uh, without the banks of the river, then it's just like I'm pouring water on this table, and where's the water going to go? Any direction. Okay? And it's going to go the direction of the wind, the Hawa. And so that's why you need Sharia, because that directs what we call your, your, your spirituality. So you need both. And then, of course, I mentioned Dr. Omar's uh, analogy, which is, which is very beautiful, that sharia is the milk, and haqiqa is the butter that comes from the milk. So your foundation has to be sharia. Right? So we will talk about the Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, a, a way to distinguish, to make sense, and especially uh, looking at the ICN community. The ICN community of all the different Chicago communities is the second most Salafi-ish community. The most Salafi-ish community is MCC down here in the north side, right? And a fundamental way to understand the difference between the Sufis and, and the Salafis is that the Salafis are Ahl al-Hadith, okay? Meaning their focus is on getting close to the Hadith. The Sufis, I mean, for lack of a better term, they're like Ahl al-Rasul, okay? They're trying to get close to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And without thinking about it, it might sound like the same thing. These people are trying to get closer to the heat, the hadith. These people are trying to get closer to the prophet. Peace be upon him. No, they're very different. So it would be like saying one person is getting close to Muzaffar's teachings, another person is getting closer to Muzaffar, right? Yeah. Obviously, not enough prophet or anything like that, right? And so you can you can understand that they have a very different very different uh, flavor and dynamic. Yeah. And then we will also speak about forgiveness, forgetting, uh, and such. <coughs> And this whole introduction is laying out the foundation. And then notice the topics. Holy Quran, Hadith, Fiqh. That sounds like a textbook of Islam. Yeah. Yeah. 
And ishtehad, one point about ishtehad is the word itself means to do jihad really hard. Right? That's the, the Arabic form, which we'll talk about. And then the, uh, all of these are textbook topics of just learning Islam, and then you get to tasawwuf. Which then gets into issues like what is the sawaf, what is bay'ah, pledging your allegiance, and and then so forth and so on. Okay, so we will spend a lot of time in laying out the foundation before we even get into the Sufi way. A lot of people bypass it and to their own detriment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go forward. And yeah, let's read this forward. Okay. First let's see who wrote the forward. Doesn't say. Right. We'll see if we can figure it out. Okay. In Sharia and Tariqa, Sheikh Zakaria strives to raise awareness of the ignorance and liberal mindedness that has become entrenched in Muslim society and that has become a part of mainstream Islamic thought in our times. He attributes his own upbringing amongst God fearing and pious people as having saved him from the mindset common in the present day, in which many Muslims feel no compunction in objecting against the pious and learned. learned. It is not uncommon to have heard someone we know personally questioning the character of the companions and raising objections about the internal conflicts between them. So we have, in our community, uh, and I'm saying our general Muslim community, we have two extremes, right? One extreme is, is the people who, who debase the Sahaba, okay, and part of the reason is because of the other extreme. And the other extreme is that, you know, out of adab, we have to be very cautious about criticizing the Sahaba. Okay? Uh, they're fully human. Okay? Um, and they did have conflicts. Right? Um, and so when a person's growing, they're not taught about things like the Battle of Safin, the Battle of the Camel, and such. Right? And when you're not talk about, taught about that, then you become an adult. And then you hear about that, you think, hey, these are very bad people, right? Because the part that no one mentions is that, yeah, they had these conflicts. But, for example, when they had the conflicts, when it's time for prayer, they all pray together, right? So on matters of aqidah, they're unified. On matters of politics, they definitely have differences of opinion. And the other thing that is never mentioned is that they did have what is essentially a civil war, and immediately after that, peace was established. In almost every case when civil war happens... The nation is permanently broken, mm-hmm. right? Even you can say in American society, we had a civil war, and the nation was politically reunited, because as, as we see even through to today, even though it's one political entity, it's still been two nations ever since, mm-hmm. right? And you can't figure out what's the boundary line of, of, of that. It's basically it reunited completely as one nation, and that's part of the greatness of the Sahaba, right? But the true, true greatness of the Sahaba, and we'll talk about this when we, when we get to those sections, is their dedication to the Prophet, peace be upon him, which means their dedication to Haq. And so when the Prophet, peace be upon him, gave them a command, their default was to obey the command. Right? And we do have examples where there were some Sahaba who obviously committed sins. And what you also find is in almost every case, we don't even list their name. The Sahaba themselves don't share their names mm-hmm. out of their own uh, adab for other people. Right? And, and so, and, and a way to think about this, and we've talked about this a little bit in the Theo class, is that 
a difference between Sunnis and Shias outside of the issue of authenticity. That's a different issue, um, which is uh, actually the primary, primary issue. But in terms of the feel of it, the Sunnis focus on the Sahaba. The Shias focus on the family of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay. Now, Sunnis have a different uh, uh, stance on who is included in the family of the Prophet. Our stance is much wider, including everybody in his mm-hmm. family. Right? But to get a sense of the psychology, when Sunnis look at Shias, they think, we think you're not giving proper attention to the Sahaba. Okay. When Shias look at Sunnis, they think that you're not giving proper respect to the family of the Prophet, peace be upon him. These are side points, but I'm making these points to help you, you know, frame all these things uh, um, in your mind. And, and so what especially makes the companion so important? We get all of our Islam from them. We get 100% of our Islam from them. Obviously, we get from the Prophet, peace be upon but who's the one who's narrating it? It's the, it's the Sahaba. Good. All right, let's continue. <coughs> the introduction discusses the names, lives, and the time periods of the great scholars who helped build the, the Sheikh's own character and Iman. He explains through his personal example why the deen, the, the deen is not learned through books or scholars alone. Instead, it is learned through good examples and pious company. Okay, so that's the point we've also been in the Theo class, right? How do you actually learn your deen? You learn it person to person to person. And suhba, that's why we call them sahaba. They were friends. They were in the company of each other. We don't even call them disciples. I mean, it seems more like they're disciples uh, than, than, than companions. But... Uh, even from an MSA perspective, in general, you'll get a lot more benefit in your dean if you put yourself in the company of each other in being upright than you will listening to a lecture. Because yeah. you can listen to a thousand lectures. And like I said, like in our conversation yesterday, if I ask you alone, list every single hadith you know a little bit of or a lot of, you can probably list maybe 1,500 hadith, maybe more. Right. I don't remember what number I gave you yesterday. Remember? It was like 500. It's gone up. Mashallah, you're not And And the point is that we're, we, mashallah, are, have been blessed with so many bits of knowledge. But when you're embodying it, and then you're putting yourself in the company of people that are embodying it, then it becomes so strong. Good. And that is one of the things that if it's not there, that's what breaks down our community. Mm-hmm. That if we're keeping ourselves distant from each other, and we're not embodying knowledge, we are basically like foam on the sea. When we are embodying what the Prophet, peace be upon him, has given us, okay, and we're putting ourselves in the company of each other, okay, that makes us like an iron wall. Okay. Let's continue. Okay. Many of the objections raised about the companions, uh, the question of taqlid and other subjects discussed in sharia and tariqah, are essentially due to the, uh, both the lack of pious company and lack of the qualities with, with su- which such company produces, such as taqwa, Sincerity, uh, uh, humility, yeah, etc. Right. And so you asked me one question about you know like interaction and such, and this is one of your uh, one of your protections, is keep yourself in the company of good people, mm-hmm. keep yourself as much as you can in the company of good people, right? And uh, your Islam will erode away faster if you put yourself in the company of bad people rather than you even being on your own, right? And you understand that, right? And, and the company of good people is something that uh, no one can ever stress too much. It's mm-hmm. very, very important. So just a quick question. So how, uh, what's the difference between the like, company of like, uh, like pious individuals and then, like, friends? So, I mean, uh, the, key thing, the, the key thing to think from the negative perspective is what's the presence of sins, mm-hmm. right? If sin is kept to a minimum, then by definition it's good company. The best will be people who are vigilant about their ibadah. Mm-hmm. 
and vigilant about matters of truth, right? And you're comfortable with them, right? So it is not necessarily, you know, how do they look, right? Because often we confuse Dean with costumes, right? But, I mean, you don't even have to be talking about Dean-related matters. You're just not committing sin. Mm-hmm. And doing nothing is not sin, unless you're doing nothing and skipping Salah. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? So even just hanging out together, playing together, playing basketball together, as long as sin is kept out, then it's good company, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you can imagine this better and better company. Yeah. The key is you spend time together. As Sheikh Zakaria himself says in another chapter, one of the main reasons for sending prophets was that they embodied the, mean, the meaning, no, the, the meaning uh, of their revealed work, books and demonstrated it in their practical life. Yeah. So once again, uh, as you keep hearing me uh, from me in the other class, uh, this is all about living it. Yeah. You live the deen, and what happens? So, so uh, Allah Ta'ala, or the Prophet peace on him states that, you know, in end times, knowledge is going to be taken away. Not by people forgetting things, by Allah Ta'ala taking away the scholars, mm. right? Or the Quran is going to be taken away. Again, not by the Quran vanishing, but by Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala taking away the scholars. And what that means is that we'll probably have a ton of knowledge available in books. Okay? We'll probably have a ton of knowledge available in recordings. Okay? But nobody's living it. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have revealed the books directly upon the people and left it to them to read and apply in their mm-hmm. lives. Instead, he sent prophets and in doing so showed us that the method of gaining deen is not in reading books but in keeping pious company. I mean, what he's actually doing is giving you one of the big essences of, of the sawaf. Yeah. It's the company you keep. Yeah. Yeah. The understanding of deen that is gained from the company of the God-fearing eliminates doubt in the heart. Lack of iman and insincerity, which gives rise to objections, argumentation, and indifference towards the deen. So this is another thing that's very interesting. A point that you'll hear from me many times if you haven't already. 100% of the people that I've met who have converted to atheism, um, it has always been because of some scratch on their heart, so to speak. Usually, sometimes it's they face a tragedy that they can't cope with, uh, or they're full of resent because of their lives, and usually the resentment is against their parents, usually against their fathers, right? Mm-hmm. What's also interesting is you got to look at the company that they keep, right? People who keep themselves, you know, joyously in pious company, like it says here, that it'll eliminate doubt from the heart. You will get satisfaction of the heart uh, automatically just by being in pious company. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes sitting in the company of the pious. He says, O ye who believe, fear Allah and be with those who are true in word and deed. I think this is probably in Surah Tawbah, I believe, but we can look it up. But there it is right there. In the first and second chapter, Sheikh Zakaria reveals the ignorance of modernists and the reason for the rise of many deviated sects in our times. In narrating the the fields that are necessary, necessary, to master before one can be qualified to interpret the Qur'an and Sunnah. He makes it clear that many of those who lay claim to spreading the Qur'an and Sunnah and who hold gatherings where the Qur'an is translated and explained do not in fact fulfill the prerequisite conditions. It is easy to understand then how such people are ignorant and are following their own desires in the guise of the Qur'an and Sunnah. This is something to be very, very cautious of, right? Uh, As we'll see throughout the course of this text. And so... This, I mean, so Dean can be a costume in a whole bunch of different ways, 
Dean can be a costume just by how you how you dress. Okay, Dean can be a costume in the words that you use. A lot of times people will use adab, uh, and it masks their bad character. And Dean can be a costume in terms of, of the knowledge that, that is being shared. Yeah. In succeeding chapters, Sheikh Zakaria turns his attention to one of the most controversial issues in our, of our times. Many have called for a need for dialogue on this issue, but Sheikh Zakaria explains that following in, an imam in our time is more important now than in preceding centuries. It is only ignorance of our lack of knowledge which leads us to think that we can lead a life as practicing Muslims without follow, following an imam. In the past, Muslims recognized their own ignorance and the importance of following an imam was clear to them. Sheikh Zakaria speaks passionately and at length of, on the subject, drawing from all of the critical sources to prove his argument, Qur'an, Sunnah, scholars, history, personal experiences, experiences, and anecdotes. Okay, so this is something even more true now in America than it was when this book came out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you when you look online and people start talking about their Islam, uh, it's like they make it a plaything, right? Um, you know, uh, like you keep hearing from me, you know, when I'm very critical about the whole culture of celebrity scholars. And part of it is the, is the, is the particular character of certain celebrity scholars. But a bigger issue is just that whole culture, right? And you're treating them just like we treat, not you, but we, we treat them just like we treat rock stars and such. And people are cheering and screaming for them um, as though they have some special gift. What, what they have is charisma. And, and sometimes the charisma is not even real. It's like, you know, your brand that they're selling. And, and so what we're saying here is part of keeping in pious company, you're also keeping yourself in the company of the schools of law, right? Hanafi, Maliki, Shafi, etc., right? And Hanbali. And what is the simple point there? The simple point there is that you, I mean, those, like you go to a physician because the physician's the expert, okay? And that's why you go to them. Because they've already figured out the, uh, a lot of the answers to these questions. Or they've figured out very serious methodologies. And so another way to think about this, which is also very akin to why we call uh, the way of the Sufis haqiqa. Haqiqa is reality. And we're saying reality is a very serious thing. Okay. And a lot of people don't realize how much they just want to turn their Islam into a play. Right? The Day of Judgment will be literally the most serious, intense experience of your entire existence before and after. We all know that. Okay? But if it's the most serious entire experience of your own ex uh, your own existence, that means everything leading up to it is a serious. Okay? Mm. And as you know me, it doesn't mean you don't tell jokes, right? But you take, you take dunya seriously. Okay? And that's part of the point here, that people have turned their Islam into a play and a show. And it's going to be to their own detriment. Because it, if you reduce it just to an identity, you're robbing yourself of all the rahmah that is in it. Okay. But then you're also potentially robbing yourself of appreciating the seriousness of what we're all going to face. Mm -hmm. right? There's no way around the Day of Judgment. Okay. And it's a promise, and everybody forgets it, that how real it is. Okay, continue. With the main areas. With the main areas of Sharia discussed, he takes the reader through a detailed analytical study of the Sawuf. Again, he addresses many of the misunderstandings arising from an ignorance of the Sawuf and provides detailed evidence of the meditative de devotions and exertions used in the Sawuf, upon which he then ends the book. He also establishes the middle ground between the two groups who fall into excessiveness, ifrat, and uh, remissness. So basically, people who are too strict and people who are too loose. Yeah, definitely. Ifrat, tafrit. 
In this matter, one group rejects the Sawaf outright and considers it a blatant innovation in the deen. The second group downplays the importance of Sharia and thinks the spiritual states and ecstatic experiences of the Sawaf are themselves the ultimate objective. And that's a very, very important point. Like, remember when we were talking about Islam, Iman, Ihsan mm-hmm. in class? Yeah. We're saying the goal is not to reach Ihsan. The goal is to get closer to Allah, mm. and for which Ihsan is a state on the way, right? Um, and, and so a lot of people, they wanted the exhilaration um, as opposed to getting closer to Allah. Allah is the objective, correct? And so this, uh, the people who then want to, um, you know, feel the exhilaration, uh, already they're illustrating that they don't understand how all this works. Mm-hmm. But then these are the people who will feel like they don't get anything out of Salah, but they get something out of Dhikr, right? Or they don't get anything out of Salah, but they get something out of Maulid. Maulid is a very, very good thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing that to skip your prayers, yeah. then you're not understanding anything, Right? And so likewise, you'll see with, with fasting that people fast and they feel like they're not getting anything, okay? And people confuse spirituality with drugs, literally. Like, you know, drugs get you high and make you feel a particular way. Mm-hmm. That's what they think spirituality is supposed to do. But if we're talking about haqiqah, then we're saying spirituality, the point of spirituality is to get you to think clearly, to see reality for what it is, okay? Which is the opposite of getting high, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. getting high, you're getting cloudy. Yeah. And that's what people don't realize. Yeah. So much of it is really just is, is about clarity. Yeah. Throughout his discourse, he switches between evidence, anecdotes, uh, evidence, a- anecdotes, scholarly discussion, experience, and knowledge, helping the reader to stay engaged in what is a difficult but extremely important subject. One of the main themes of this book, as we'll note, with the uh, author consistently referring to past recent scholars, history, and the pious predecessors, is that the community, Ummah, cannot turn its back on the tradition of the uh, pious predecessors and draw near pattern, draw new patterns of the following, of following the Quran and Sunnah. It must hold on the ways of the pious predecessor, predecessors in order to stay on the straight path. Okay, so that part is, is straightforward, right? You can try to reinvent the wheel, and you're wasting your time, yeah. right? And not only are you wasting your time, I mean, the people in history are, are, are not dumb people. They're very smart people, right? They're very, very smart people. And on top of that, very dedicated people. Uh, let's stop right here. Um, any questions, thoughts about anything? Uh, no, I'm probably just going to reflect over it. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and so next time, inshallah, we'll continue with how to read the book. And read that in advance. Okay. And so, so take some notes on it. Okay. And then, depending upon how far we get, uh, we'll continue with that. Uh, when do you want to meet again? Um, we can do either do uh, um, like um, this time each week or multiple times. That's really up to you. If it's 